you like one of those mornings where the Bible flops open at a passage and you're like, Lord speaking to me. You ever had that? But I mean, really, the Bible just flopped open at a passage. Um, and it's highlighted in my Bible. It's uh, Jeremiah 29, um, verse 10. I think verse 11 is the one that's most often taken out of context to mean whatever you're going to speak on is from the Lord. But there's this beautiful moment where the exiles get this message from the Lord to say, you'll come back. You know, And it says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plan plans to prosper and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Um, this is the part they don't read. They often stop right there at Jeremiah 11, just grab that one, that's what I want. It says, then you will call upon me. You will come and pray to me, and I'll listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I'll bring you from captivity. I'll gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back to the place where I, ca- where I carried you into exile. Here's a moment where the entire people decide to look for God, and they find Him. And when they find Him, He carries them back. I think there's something really beautiful in that. And I think there's something beautiful for our passage today, which is 1 John chapter 5, 13 to 21. It's the concluding remarks of John, and I am absolutely not speaking on confidence. That was well encapsulated there. What Martin said is accurate and true. Um, and it's the thing that I've struggled with, where my, my one defense, my righteousness, it's like, oh my gosh, God would light me up for my righteousness. But it's imparted, right? It's the righteousness of Jesus that we carry. There's something beautiful in that. First uh, John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask for anything according to His will... He is. He hears us. Whose will? It's God's will, right? That if we ask for anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother commits a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray... And God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. I'm not saying that we should pray about... uh, Sorry, there is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin. Where are we? And there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin, and the one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We also know 
that the Son of God has come and he's given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. So let's clear it up. What's the sin that leads to death? That sin is unbelief in Jesus. That's the sin that he's talking about. Okay? Just in case you were sitting there panicking and going, is it swearing? Please tell me it's not swearing. <laughs> Lack of a good prayer time? No. No, it's not. <laughs> it's unbelief. And so what, what he's talking about here is sin in the light of Jesus that does not lead to death. Does that make sense? So we have been sanctified by the blood of Jesus and made righteous, but there is an ongoing sanctification. It's immediate in belief in Jesus, but it's ongoing in that we have not yet arrived at perfect holiness. Some of you might argue otherwise, I dare say, you're a sinner. Um, we're all sinners, and that's okay. We're, we're in this ongoing process of sanctification, and there's something beautiful in that. It, the, the ability for us to look uh, a week ago, a year ago, 10 years ago and say, I am not that person because I have been transformed by Christ Jesus. And we continue to be transformed by Christ Jesus. There's something beautiful in that. And so we're talking about two different things, sin in the light of Jesus that does not lead to death and sin in the absence of Jesus that does, not, uh, that does lead to death. But uh, I don't think that's the point. I don't think that's the point of this passage. I think the point of this passage is actually a conversation about prayer. This is a conversation between a believer, I write to you, you who believe in the, in the name of the Son of God so that you may know eternal life. This is the conversation to somebody who sins in light of Jesus and so therefore is being sanctified ongoingly by the work of Jesus. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I think this is the point of the conversation. Is that there is a beautiful, humble confidence that as a child of God, we can petition our request with thanksgiving knowing that God hears and listens. That God hears our prayers. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. Yeah ever had that moment where you're, you're just fervently praying on something, you know? Maybe it's like a Paul-style thorn in your side. You just keep on petitioning the Lord. Lord, I know you're busy. I know you've got a lot on your plate. The world's a very difficult place. Um, but here's my prayer request again. And then the next day you feel like it hasn't been answered. And so, Lord, maybe you didn't get it yesterday. Maybe the Holy Spirit was 
flat out and didn't deliver the message. So here it is again, and you petition again, Lord, here's my request. I had, I had one of those moments in the States. You, you know, I was at a church over there, much younger and more immature than I am now, which for some of you is like, I didn't even think it was possible. More immature. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was saying to a worship pastor, it's always the worship pastor who um, believes he should be the lead pastor. Um, but that's a different conversation. No. Um, and the worship pastor said to me, because I was, I was frustrated about this prayer thing that I was lifting up to the Lord. I don't have an answer for this. Lord, can you please sort this out? And, and I, I was like, man, I was just petitioning him daily on this prayer request. And I feel like he's not hearing me. And he says to me, do you have confidence that he heard you the first time? I was like, uh, uh, yeah, Scripture says that he, he hears when I ask. I'm a child of God. You know, and the classic worship pastor, do you believe that you're a child of God? And we had to unpack that for a bit. And so then he says to me, but what if instead of praying on it, you praise God for it? I just hate when worship pastors say something like that. Because you're like, you're probably right. What does it look like to praise God through that prayer? Lord, I know that you've heard it, but I'm now just going to declare all the great things that you are. God, you are good. You are righteous. You are holy. You are all-knowing. You are the great healer. You are the great provider. Lord, when I am anxious or I am fearful or I have doubts, I can run to your place as a refuge and find hope. That you are true shalom. I haven't yet addressed any of my prayer requests. I'm just declaring all the great things that God is. And yet in doing that, I find comfort. I find peace. I find hope. And that was his point to me. You know what? God heard you the first time. Start praising him for who he is and for what he has done and for what he will continue to do and know that God heard what you asked. There's something extraordinary in the power of prayer. But the question comes, do we have that gentle freedom, that humble confidence to know that he listens. And I wonder if that's our biggest doubt. God, did you hear me the first time? Did you hear me the second time? Are you listening? What are you doing? Why aren't you hearing me? Nag, 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 nag. Who am I? What have I done? You wonder if that, <laughs> if that moment where God speaks to Job and does not answer his prayer request. Just reminds him of who he is. Did you tame the Leviathan? Were you there at the beginning of creation? Were you? I, um, I have a moment. It's probably the greatest parenting line that I feel like I've ever been taught. Um, I hold it in tension with do not exasperate your children, but I feel like it's a very good, very good line. So I have a 10-year-old and an 11-year-old. And when I feel like they are petitioning me repeatedly and not getting what they are requesting, 
because it sits outside the best interest for them. You know, that moment. And I say to them, Max, Ruby, are you smarter now than when you were when you were seven years old? <laughs> yeah, so much smarter. Are you smarter now than when you were five years old? <laughs> That's such a stupid question, Dad. So much smarter. And then I say, is Dad smarter now at 42 years old or when he was 10? And then there's silence. We've connected the dots, right? The difference is perspective. But I wonder sometimes if in my prayer life, God is saying, Duncan, do you think I'm smarter now in, eternal, in eternity? Or smarter 6,000 years ago in eternity? Which, which one am I smarter in, right? You're like, well, you're the perfection of wisdom, so you peak. God's point is perspective. It's the same thing I'm trying to say to my children is that there is perspective on why you're getting a no. And that perspective is, is if I give you a yes on this one, it's not for your best interests. They hate that, right? They want sugar all the time. Milkshakes for breakfast, lunch, dinner. And so... What kind of confidence do you feel like you can approach God? Even, even coming out of the season that we've been in, do we, do we feel like we still have the same confidence that we can go to God and petition Him with a prayer request and then praise Him through that prayer request? And I, I wonder if it's just we've ramped up our life so much that finding those spaces to sit with God and pray can be challenging to slot it in amongst everything that we're trying to champion. I um, this is these are not my thoughts, by the way. These next, I've got five suggestions for embracing a more prayerful life. Um, they are John Mark Comer's prayer. I've pointed to Luke because. We're on the same kind of journey right now. Um, but he makes a good a point about prayer. There's, there's no sense in, in adding prayer into your life if you've got no space for it. That formation, when we're talking about it, is, is actually a process of subtraction. So there is space for, for prayer. Okay, so this is not a conversation to say, what do I need to add in? It's like, what are, what are the things within my life that I need to remove? Could I cut out morning news? Could I cut out a lunch break scroll through social media? Could I cut out an evening tea show, uh, TV show that we sit down and watch? So the, the question is, 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 is for us to have a healthy place of prayer, we first need to examine our day and examine our week and examine our month and saying, what are those moments that are time-wasting initiatives that I can prune out? It doesn't have to be all of them. But maybe there's one or two things. 
that if I just said I'm going to take that and replace it with something else, maybe I can have more prayer space. See, I, I confided with Andrea that, that I think I spent too much time on social media and I was going to delete the apps from my phone. And then two, three weeks later, Andrea calls me out on it. Have you deleted those apps from your phone? And I had not. Makes it very hard to get up and give a sermon when you feel like a hypocrite. <laughs> I persisted and managed to pull it off. Um, I deleted the apps from my phone. Guess what I've got? An extra hour in the day. But then I discovered this incredible show on Disney called Forged in Fire where 40-year-old men make knives out of steel. It's one of the great all-time TV shows ever created. And so sadly, Forged in Fire filled the gap and I've had to now roll it back and say no more Forged in Fire until my prayer time kicks in, even though I'm learning how to make canoe Damascus, canoe Damascus steel blades. It's amazing. Oh, it's incredible. The handle, I mean, the whole thing is extraordinary. But that's the problem, right? Is that we cut these things out and then little things slot back in. And so this is a constant ongoing battle for uh, spiritual command of our lives to say what are the important things that we need to roster in and say these are sacred. And the only way to do that is to subtract some stuff before we can add in prayer. So don't add prayer into your life right now if you aren't willing to subtract a few things first because you'll just go from busy to over busy and you'll be frustrated with it all and it won't stick and it won't take off. But in this season for our church, some of those questions are really true. What is the most important reason why we're here? It's for Jesus. Nothing else. We're here for Jesus. This is a formational experience on how we might champion each other in our run towards Jesus. Right? Coffee's great. It's not important. Our worship points us towards Jesus. The, the communion points us towards Jesus. We learned this last week. He came in blood and water and spirit. That's why we have communion. That's why we have baptism. That's why we talk about the Holy Spirit a whole bunch. They point us towards Jesus. And so... How do we start? How do we even start with prayer? Let's say we cut a little bit out here and there, right? Part one, subtraction before addition. Part two, start small. Could you carve out 30 minutes a day? <sighs> Way too much. Great. Start with 10. This is the same principle I use at home when I ask for something from my wife. Let me explain it. Okay? I... I want a new kitchen knife because I've been watching Forged in Fire. It's beautiful. Damascus, Damascus steel. I found a, a person who could custom build one for me. $2,500. So I say, Carly, I say to Carly, Carly, babe, could I get a new kitchen knife? And she says to me, what is it going to cost? She's the accountant. And I say to her, it's $2,500. And she says, don't be ridiculous. You've got plenty of other knives in the house. You're not getting a $2,500 knife. So then I say to her, my birthday's coming up. I can go down to Brookvale and forge my own knife for $400. Would you let me do that? She's like, well, that's much more reasonable. Of course you could go do that. 
You see? This is the same principle with your prayer life. Could you pray six hours a day? Oh my gosh, no. Could you start at 30 minutes? But that's the realistic, like, if we try and scale it up, if we try and get it bigger, we've got to start somewhere. So is it five minutes? Is it 10 minutes? Is it 20 minutes? Is it half an hour? Where is the place that you could comfortably start? Don't ever use that principle, by the way, in your marriage. Carly's still frustrated about the knife. Um, Where is the place that you can start? Start small. Make it a habit. Make it a routine. Make it sacred. And by sacred, I mean that you are not willing to compromise that for anything else. It takes priority in your life. The third practice that I want to talk about is you get out what you put in. This is true for a lot of things. But the more you give yourself to the practice of prayer, the more life-changing it's going to be. The more you dabble at it, the more you take shortcuts, the more you throw it in in the midst of other things and don't prioritize, the less you will get out of it and the less transformational it will be. Your ability to commit to it is the thing that starts to magnify the success of it. I keep a prayer journal. And the nice thing about keeping a prayer journal, I can see how God has sorted out those prayers and problems when I flip back to it. When I stop writing in the prayer journal, I stop seeing all those moments when God has answered those prayers. And so in the moment, it might seem frustrating to write in a piece of journal, Lord, I pray on this. Please sort out this. Lord, I'm confused about this. However small and trivial that might be, but to look back at that six months later and go, oh, God answered that prayer and he answered that prayer and he answered that prayer and God is present and God is listening. And I have more confidence that he hears me when I ask. There's a, um, the fourth principle is one called the J-curve. I've probably talked about the J-curves a lot because I like it. But whenever we're learning a new skill, the curve goes like this, okay? We start here learning a new skill and we feel like we've got a hold of it. And then what happens over the next couple of weeks is we get steadily worse at it. And you hit the bottom of the J-curve and you oftentimes get really disappointed with it. Man, I was way better when I first started this and now I, I've been doing this for a week, for a month and I'm the worst I've ever been at this brand new skill. And that's part of mastery is that oftentimes you get worse before you get better and that's why it's called a J-curve. But what happens is if you get over that dip is that eventually it does start to get better and that better just becomes much better than where you started. So you get this J-curve. And prayer life can feel like that. You go, oh man, I'm going to start this brand new routine. It's half an hour a day. Every Monday I'm going to sit down and pray. And then four weeks into it, it's 18 minutes and it's slotted in and you're like, I'm just going to give up. I don't have time. But if you bust through, that 18 minutes becomes 20 minutes again, becomes 30 minutes again. Now it's 40 minutes. Now you can't start your day without it. Now you know that it's the most prioritized thing that you're going to do in your day because 
you've conquered and mastered the J-curve. And that there's no formation, this is the fifth point, there's no formation for our prayer lives without repetition. We cannot just do this thing one time. We cannot do this thing as a last resort when we've tried everything else and everything else has failed and so finally we get on our knees before the Lord and plead for help. Spiritual formation, as much as it pains me to say it, is slow, it's deep, it's cumulative, it takes years, not weeks. It's a journey of a lifetime. I cannot issue us, although I will in three months, a four-week process of prayer. We, we will be doing a four-week process of prayer. So I understand the hypocrisy of what I'm trying to say, but it doesn't solve our prayer life. Does that make sense? So we're not going to get to the end of that four weeks and suddenly be a prayerful church. Like I'm going to say, amen on that Sunday, the roof will gently lift off, doves will descend in and there will be Shekinah glory present in this place. That won't happen at the end of four weeks. But what I'm hoping it does is it lays the groundwork for us so that we can start to become more prayerful in the things that we do week to week. And so cumulatively over time, we can start to see the prayerful growth of our church. But it's not four weeks. It's going to be a map for the journey that we go on together. That we might be companions along the way. That we might get back to that place, which happens most Sundays. Is it someone, hey, can, can you pray with me? But it's not just me as a prayer partner. Like I've got some special command line with the Holy Spirit and Yahweh. But together we go on that journey as companions, as prayer partners. Because if we're going to find the confidence that we have in approaching God, then we have to practice the skill of petitioning Him for the things that we need, praising Him for the who He is, seeking His heart so that we might pray in line with his will. And when we do those things, God starts to listen and to respond. I think we saw it beautifully this week, Laura. Well, last couple of weeks really, hasn't it? Like Laura was like a month from being homeless. Yeah. I, I, I didn't have a solution. Did you have a solution? Right? And so here's the story, just so you know. Two homes fall through, and then we're, you, you're broken, right? I'm on the phone with you one Sunday. It's all falling apart. I'm sick of all of this. I don't know what I'm going to do. Right? Anne steps in. You've got to be praying on it. Helen steps in. You've got to be praying on it. Right? How many people in your lives are like, you've got to be praying on this? Right? So you submit it before the Lord. You go to work as a hairdresser on the Monday. Yet sick every day. Goes to work on a Monday. Her first hair appointment sits down and says, what's wrong, Laura? 
And she goes, I need a house. Do you know anyone with a granny flat? As a joke, right? Giving you a bob cut. Do you know anyone who's got a granny flat? She says, I do, my dad. Right? Boom. Stunning place at Terry Hills. By the way, we need some help moving on for Saturday. Yeah. No, it's okay. I've got Austin and I've got Brody. You sorted for that, by the way. Um, we didn't see it. We didn't know it. We didn't have an answer for it. But we have a confidence, don't we, ladies, that if we prayerfully come before the Lord, knowing that you are a daughter of the Most High, that he will hear our requests and that he will meet them. And that he is not going to let a daughter of the Most High not have a roof over her head and things teed up and things happened. Maybe not in the way or the shape that we had initially planned. But God is good all the time. All the time God is good. That's, that's one small moment, isn't it? Sometimes we just don't have the answers, but we have the confidence to speak to Yahweh. My son's having nightmares this week, not getting to sleep, you know? He's using his language. I'm, I'm having hallucinations, scary dreams, right? He doesn't know what he's saying, right? So I say to him, you know, there's a special word in scripture that we have permission to use that other people don't have permission to use. He's like, what? I'm like Yahweh. Yahweh is a special word reserved for sons and daughters of the king. And when we call upon the name of Yahweh, he listens. He's like, what? What are you talking about? And I said, so son, when you feel like you see something scary at night time, you know that you can say, I am a son of Yahweh and you're not welcome in this place to whatever that might be. And that flees from you. This is a kid who's scared, who suddenly goes, what? I'm like, yeah, he practiced it. I'm a son of Yahweh and you are not welcome in this place. I'm a son of Yahweh, you are not welcome in this place. So he had a nightmare that night, woke up, says, I'm a son of Yahweh. You are not welcome in this place. And goes back to sleep. It's the power of prayer, isn't it? It's having confidence that as a child of God, when you call upon his name, he hears you and he responds to you. Martin Luther had that exact moment, didn't he? He was reading, was it Romans? I always love the story from history, but he's reading through Romans. He's had visions of satan every night in his room and he wakes up one night after having this encounter with the book of romans where he suddenly realizes his righteousness is predicated on jesus and not on him and he says oh it's just you and goes back to sleep because he has no power in this place because he is a son of the most high there is a beautiful humble confidence in that moment power of Max is not predicated on Max, it's predicated on Yahweh. 
the power of this church and this community is not predicated on the strength or the righteousness of each individual, but on the strength and righteousness of Christ alone. And those are the places that we find confidence to petition the Lord and present our requests and know that he hears us. Next week, next week, we're sharing a whole bunch of stuff. And in fact, you're going to walk in here and it's going to look different. Stuff is going to be moved about. There's going to be some stuff out. There's going to be new stuff behind me. There's going to be stuff on that wall. There's going to be stuff out in that hall. It's going to look different. And there's going to be a real energy about next Sunday. But it's just the start of something. Together, we go on that journey, week in, week out. I think there's going to be excitement next week, but sometimes excitement can run out. <laughs> and so we go on the journey together, trusting, humbly, confident that God is hearing our prayers, that he's growing our community, that souls are being won to Christ. And we're going to journey with him together on that, yeah? Let's pray. God, you are good. You are gracious and you are holy and you hear our prayers. And so we trust you in that, Lord, that we might go on a journey of prayer together and seek your heart more and more and more each day. We declare that in song as our defender. Amen.